This is the Sports Academic, a podcast that dives into sports and its greatest stories, with your host, Rohan Hardas. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Sports Academic. My guest here is LA Galaxy 2 midfielder and good friend Miguel Aguilar. Miguel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rohan. Before we dive into today's discussion about soccer, I wanted you guys to learn a little bit more about Miguel and his story. So, Miguel, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Uh, of course. Uh, I was born and raised in Juarez, Mexico, which is a city bordering El Paso, Texas. Uh, I lived there until I was 11 years old. Um, you know, I had a normal childhood. Uh, I spent most of my day outside playing with friends, uh, whether it be you know playing tag, uh, soccer. I uh, played a little bit of basketball growing up. Um, you know, just a normal childhood. Um, I have an older brother and a sister who, um, you know, just kind of raised me with my mom. Um, my dad wasn't really in the picture, so I grew up in a single parent home. Um, but, you know, growing up, it was good. I was a kid. I was a normal kid who enjoyed, you know, just spending most of his day outside playing. Do you have a favorite memory of your time in Juarez? Uh, yeah. One of my favorite memories uh, was probably my ninth birthday. Uh, I remember my mom planned this whole party for me, and, you know, I, I'd been asking her, you know, that I wanted uh, ponies at the at the party, so they actually brought out, like, a bunch of horses that weren't even ponies, and, you know, I got to ride a horse for the first time, so that was pretty cool. That was one of my favorite memories. What was ex- your experience like riding the horse? Uh, it was pretty scary at first. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. You know, I always saw... Uh, all the vaqueros and like you know what we call cowboys um you know riding horses in movies and it was something i always wanted to try so i got to try it for the first time um and you know once i got on the first time i loved it so i just kept riding the horse have you ridden horses at all since then uh i have well it's been a long time um last time i did it it was probably about like five years ago um you know in davis that's a great story it definitely sounds like that would have been a really fun ninth birthday to have so Transitioning over a little bit, why did you have to leave Mexico? Um, at the time, you know, growing up, uh, it was probably around my, you know, 10th birthday or, you know, by the time I was 10 years old, uh, Juarez started getting really, really dangerous. Uh, it became, you know, just a very hostile environment for my family and myself to be. And that's when my mom decided, you know, that it was time for us to get out of there. I remember at one point, Juarez was probably this, I think it was the second most dangerous city in the world. Um, so, you know, that just tells you a little bit of, of, you know, what kind of place it was at the time. So, um, my mom just, you know, decided to, to get us out of there to give us a a better life. Can you describe the process of how it was like to leave Mexico? Um, yeah. Uh, when I left Mexico, I came to Sacramento, California. My journey was basically a, a two and a half day drive with my brother and my grandpa. Um, You know, we just packed up uh, my grandpa's pickup truck with all our belongings and we just kept driving. You know, we would drive through the day, sleep at night, wherever, you know, we stopped. And, you know, it took us two and a half days to get to Sacramento. I remember the journey. um, You know, we would only stop to fill up gas or like, you know, grab something quick uh, to eat um, until we do until we got to Sacramento. But, you know, as a kid, I was just taking in the view. I was, you know, enjoying the ride. So I didn't really give it much thought. Because of how this journey played out and you were unsure of what was going to come next in your chapter of life, can you tell me a little bit about um, how hard it was to assimilate to American culture and what were your first few days or weeks or months like? 
yeah, when I first got to Sacramento, um, you know, it was it was the middle of summer, so I wasn't really too worried about anything at the, at the time. Uh, I had a good, you know, it was like two, three week uh, weeks where I just enjoyed myself. You know, I was um, playing video games for the first time. You know, like actually owning my own console. And, you know, I would spend most of the day playing video games. Um, I didn't really have a lot of friends at the time. So, you know, and I was still waiting to start school. So so it was a bit of an adjustment. Um, just, you know, moving to a different country, having to learn the language, having to assimilate to the culture. Uh, it wasn't until school started that, you know, it really hit me. Um, you know, I showed up at school for the first time and, you know, I saw how, you know, a lot of kids looked a lot different than I did. Um, you know, spoke a different language and it was hard for me because I couldn't understand the word that they were saying for the most part. So just assimilating, assimilate, just assimilating to that. What would you say the, um, the demographics were of the school you attended when you first got to the U S? Um, you know, it, it was, it was very, very diverse. Um, you know, you have your Hispanics, uh, you have a lot of African-Americans. There was a, a lot of, uh, Caucasian people too. Asian people, um, there was a little bit of everything, uh, but I think the most intriguing part was that, you know, despite how everyone, everyone looked, um, you know, everybody spoke the same language, and that was probably what was throwing me off the most, is what, you know, that I couldn't fit in because of that, so it took me a while to just really, you know, learn the language, and, um, you know, even pick up the slang and all that stuff, um, which eventually facilitated, um, you know, just making friends, and and you know being able to fit in and, and just have a normal childhood at the time do you have any stories about like how you would make friends into this new situation um yeah actually i remember the first guy i ever spoke to in school was probably about the second day of school um i saw a couple of kids playing soccer during uh, lunch so i walked up to them and you know i asked the guy with uh, my very broken english if you know if i could join and you know another guy ran over and he's like hey don't worry i speak spanish so i was talking to to him and you know i asked him again if i could play with them um yeah sure enough he he let me join his team i started playing and you know once they all saw me play uh the next couple of days everybody wanted to play on their team so you know that was probably my first time i would say making friends would you say the transition got easier after a year two years three years after coming to the united states how was your how was more of your middle school and high school experience like? Um, middle school was a transition period. In the middle school, I was still taking um, yeah, uh, English language learning classes and just like basic classes to kind of, you know, help me catch up to the rest of the kids. By the time I got to high school, um, I was in honors classes. I was fluent in English. Um, you know, I had fully assimilated to the culture. Um, so it was a transition period, and then it was followed by a period where, you know, things got easier. Um, you know, I fit in. I kind of knew my my role with within my my group of friends, uh, so to speak. And and then again, you know, sports and soccer and school and you know everything around me just made it that much easier to to fit in. You mentioned earlier about how soccer was the way you made your first friend in the United States. What does soccer mean to you, and what made you want to play the game? Um, soccer has always been a really big part of my life. I remember, you know, ever since I was five years old, I've been playing soccer. And, you know, growing up in Mexico, that was, that's all I did. Um, I would spend most of the time 
playing soccer with my friends at the park. And then, you know, once I moved to the United States, that's what first uh, opened the door for me to, you know, make friends and get to meet people. Um, it helped me with my English. It helped me, you know, learn social skills. Um, and then once I got to high school, you know, I started taking it a little bit more serious. I started thinking about, you know, scholarships to go play in college. Um, you know, I was playing club. I played for my high school and, you know, we actually won the first uh, section championship my junior year and we followed it up with another section championship my senior year. So soccer and, and school were always hand in hand for me. Would you say that soccer helped you adapt to the culture of the United States? I know the sport itself was not very big when you first came to this country, but did you think that um, it helped you become more of a, did you feel it helped you find your place? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, soccer always played a big role, you know, like, like I mentioned, it it allowed me to make friends for the first time, and then um, you know later on in high school, it it allowed me to expose myself to college coaches, and, and then open that door that eventually would lead me to the, the University of San Francisco. So yeah, soccer was always you know a, a big big door for me. Let's talk about exposure for a second. You mentioned how um, soccer would help you get to college. But was being a professional always a goal of yours, or did you always grow up thinking of soccer as just a hobby or a recreational activity? At what point did you think, maybe I can make a career out of this, maybe I am special at this? Um, I've always, you know, loved it, and ever since I was, I was really little, I was, I was maybe about five or six years old, I remember telling my mom, you know, always, I'm going to play professional soccer, and one day you're going to watch me on TV. And I guess that's just something that kind of stuck with me. I, I always knew that I, I, you know, soccer was what I wanted to do, um, and it was, you know, probably when I got to college that the idea of, you know, playing professional soccer became uh, an attainable goal. So, you know, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year of college, you know, I just worked at it, worked on my craft, and and you know, I just planned for for the draft, and you know, just planned ahead as as if I was gonna you know play professional you know that was the goal all along take me back to before college and can you kind of dive into what your high school recruiting process was like uh yeah well it it wasn't a lot of a process honestly because um you know being undocumented i i only really consider the schools that would uh offer financial aid uh mostly because uh you know i couldn't afford to pay for college myself so um i I would email all the college coaches uh, in nearby schools to, you know, come and watch me play. And it wasn't always, you know, about going to a Division One school. At this point, I just wanted to get to college. So I would email all the, co- uh, all the colleges that, you know, I thought I had a chance at playing to come and watch me. Um, you know, fortunately, a few of them did. And the ones that did, um, you know, they were really interested in me. And then, you know, I was finally able to narrow it down to like two or three schools that I could, you know, potentially have a good chance at, at attending. And that's when USF uh, came knocking. And, you know, as soon as they offered me uh, financial aid, I jumped at it. What would you say were the, besides the financial aid, would you say that there were any other driving factors that led you towards USF? Uh, yeah, you know, growing up in Sacramento, you know, uh, a weekend in San Francisco was always, you know, something that I wanted to do. I always would tell my brother, my sister, my mom, and it's like, hey, can we go to San Francisco? I always loved the city. And now being a chance, or having a chance to live there, you know, it was just something I couldn't give up. 
What would you say the difference between high school and college soccer was like? And can you tell me about your college soccer experience? Um, I think the biggest difference is just the speed of the game. Um, once you get to college, you know, everything moves faster. Uh, everyone's developed to the point where, you know, it's grown men playing, you know, and everything is a lot more physical. Um, the margin for error is a lot smaller. And, you know, guys think a lot faster. You know, you always have to think, you know, two, three steps ahead. So I think that's the biggest difference. Um, in high school, you can get away with some mistakes uh, that you can't get away with in, in college level. As a, as a college junior right now, I wanted to get your take on how hard was it to manage life as a student athlete? Because I know as a student who's studying business and accounting, time is already very packed between assignments. So how did you fit soccer into all of this? And how did you manage to stay on top of all of your assignments along with keeping up your physical shape? Um, it definitely required a lot of discipline. Uh, I spent a lot of time just allocating my time. Um, you know, I was always planning ahead. I always kind of had a a rough draft of what my schedule will be for the next following weeks and that way you know nothing ever piled up on me so I think time management discipline you know were probably the two biggest factors that got me through college how important was getting a degree to you um it was as important as playing soccer um like I said you know soccer and school are you know one and the same for me uh, my education and my career have always been hand in hand and, you know, even though my mom is super proud of me for, for, you know, being where I am now, she always told me that she cared the most about my education. So uh, in a way, the degree was more for her than for me. So I know you're pursuing a master's degree right now. Can you tell us what you're doing in your master's degree and what do you hope to achieve with it? Uh, yeah, right now I'm um, working towards my master's in accounting finance. Um, as far as what I want to do with it, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, right now, I'm still focused on my uh, soccer career, but, you know, like I said, education and soccer, if I can do both, I'll always do both. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about soccer now, can you talk to us about what the MLS draft process was like and how would you prepare for that and what came about it? Uh, yeah, the draft, uh, well, you know, leading up to the draft first, I had to go to the combine and that whole process was pretty nerve wracking. Uh, you know, it's like a week in basically a, a huge soccer camp where all the best college players are at and most of the staffs for MLS teams are, are present and, you know, they're just there to scout players. So you get thrown into three different games with a bunch of players that you've never met before and you're expected to perform. So, you know, everybody's trying to do their best. So there's a lot of selfishness going on. Um, but I've noticed that most of the players that do well are the guys that keep it simple, you know, rely on the on the basics and the fundamentals. And when they have a chance to, to shine, they take it. So that's kind of what I was just focusing on during the combine. Um, you know, I scored a couple goals, set up a couple goals, you know, and for the most part, I just played simple, played smart. Um, you know, that's kind of what I based my game on. And, you know, thankfully that, that showed well. Um, a couple weeks later, the draft, was, you know, took place. and being an international player um you know my chances of getting drafted were slimmer than most um because mls uh, teams have an allocated amount of international roster spots so you know being international and being a college player is a huge risk for a lot of teams um so during the whole draft process i was just more focused on 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 
first getting drafted and just getting a chance, you know, at showing what I was capable of. And, you know, not too concerned as far as like how high up I was drafted or anything like that. And you know, I was hoping maybe second, third round. I didn't care. I just wanted a chance. Um, and gratefully, DC United took a chance with me, took me in the first round at the 17th pick. Um, and from there, you know, I signed my first professional contract and moved on up to DC for two years. Talking about your transition to uh, the MLS from being a college student, what was your life like in DC? Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I love the city. You know, there's so much history there. And you know, it's a lot to see the museums. You can go to the White House, all the monuments. It's, it's, it's a great, great city. And I really enjoyed my time there. Um, the soccer was good. I feel like those two years, I just learned so much. Um, you know, my game grew exponentially just you know the first year alone and then you know it's just from there um again you know the whole being international and all that stuff i was working towards my green card uh you know things didn't really work out so after two years you know that's when i got traded to la galaxy how was the transition process from moving from a place like washington dc to coming to los angeles and how did you adapt to yet again another change of scenery yeah, you know, I moved across the country twice in two years, which uh, is a big change. Um, you know, always happy to come back to California, which is, you know, the place I call home, I call home. and just being closer to my family uh, was also, you know, huge for me. Um, the transition wasn't too bad. Um, you know, I knew I was coming to a place that I was familiar with. Um, there were some people in, in LA that I knew, you know, I played college with Dave Romney, and I knew he was playing for Galaxy, so... You know, it was a bit of a reunion. That was pretty cool. Um, so I really enjoyed, you know, the change of scenery. I feel like it was time for me to, to, to be, you know, in a new place and start fresh. So, you know, I welcomed the challenge. Yeah. What would you say the biggest difference between playing college and pro soccer was? Oh, again, man, you know, it's like the speed of play from high school to college is it's huge. But even, you know, it's even bigger once you go from college to to professional. Um, you know, guys' IQs are a lot higher. Um, you know, the guys read the, the game a lot faster. And, of course, the physicality of it, you know, it's like the fitness of it, it it's, it's played at a much faster pace. So um, we're in the middle of October now, and your LA Galaxy 2 season is about to come to a conclusion. Can you give me a recap of this season? How did it feel? Um, it was good. You know, I had a... Uh, a decent season I'm just you know glad that I, I was able to play as many games as I was um, you know coming off of a, a pretty serious knee injury from last year that sidelined me for you know basically the entire season um, I'm just really happy that I got to be on the field again and you know just play with a, a bunch of really talented kids um, you know being one of the veterans in the team I just kind of try to guide these guys in the right way um, you know I'm not the most vocal person but I try to lead by example so overall I thought it, I thought it was a a good learning experience for all of us and, and a decent season. So a big topic around the soccer world in the United States right now is the pay-to-play system, similarly mm-hmm. to what's going on in college, um, not college basketball, but youth basketball around the world. Um, what are your thoughts on the pay-to-play system? And obviously, most people would say it's not beneficial. Do you think there's an adequate way to fix it? Um, it's, I'm sure there is, but there's a lot of, you know, a lot of moving pieces that have to be, um, you know, placed in the right in the right you know places for all of this to work mm, you know obviously the pay to play system weeds out a lot of the kids that 
you know, have the talent, but they don't have they don't have the means to pay. And you know, I think that hurts uh, the United States soccer system because there's so much talent out there that is being overlooked uh, just because there's no exposure, there's no funds for them. Um, so I would definitely like to see this, you know, be addressed in the next coming years. Would you say growing up in Mexico and obviously seeing how the youth game is played now, do you notice any large differences between the youth game in the United States and that of Mexico? Um, there's different styles, right? Like here, there's a lot of emphasis on the on the physical part and playing hard and you know running a lot and and just the greenness of it. Uh, Mexico's a lot more technical, tactical. You know, a lot of deceit to the game. I guess you know a lot of flakes and you know some flair. Um, but you know, again, I think that's that's just a stylistic difference. Um, you know, I think ultimately the goal is the same to just be the best you can. Um, have you noticed any differences in coaching between the two levels? Um, I can't really talk about the coaching much because I I didn't really have a lot of structured coaching growing up in Mexico. It was mostly you know just like getting together with friends and you know even the teams I played for it wasn't part of. Um, you know, any really structured organization. So uh, I don't know really how the, the youth coaching in Mexico is. How have you seen the game grown since you've come to the United States? Oh, man, it's it's grown so much. It's huge. You know, it's uh, I remember first when I moved to the United States, it was hard for me just to find a team to play with. Now, you know, any, every city has a bunch of academies um, competing for, for talent. So just that alone, plus all the expansion teams, you know, now we have the USL, the USL is uh, expanding to, you know, even the third division, MLS, each MLS, you know, um, has their own academy. It's grown a lot. Moving on from uh, soccer in America to soccer around the world, the biggest news over the summer was the transfer of Cristiano Ronaldo to Juventus. Uh, Can you give me your thoughts on what you thought about the transfer? Um, yeah, I mean, every time you see a, a player of that caliber, you know, just move to a different team, um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of expectations, there's a lot of uncertainty of, you know, who's going to fill that role that he left. Um, you know, a lot of people thought Bell was going to fill in there, you know, Benzema was going to have a breakout year finally. Um, it's hard, man. It's hard to fill the void and, you know, fill the shoes of a player of the caliber of Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you think Madrid is missing him right now? Definitely, definitely. You can tell. I mean, you know, despite playing well, they're they're not scoring as much as they used to, and I think that you know that points directly at Ronaldo. Yeah, totally. I can see how a player of his caliber is obviously going to make such a large impact. So, with that being said, do you think Barcelona is going to be a lock to win La Liga right now? Uh, I mean, Barcelona is always uh, you know a, a huge favorite, whether it be Barcelona or Atletico. Um, I think one of those two guys is going to take it. So we'll see. Moving over from Spain to England, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the English Premier League season so far. And there are so many elite clubs right now who are playing really well, like Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea. What My question to you is, what does it take to maintain success at such an elite club going up against elite competition? Um, I think it's a lot of just player management. You know, there's so many big names in that club that, you know, you kind of have to find a way to keep everyone happy. Uh, it, it's hard to manage, you know, such big egos. Uh, you really need someone, you know, at the, at the head of the table who who can do that well. And you know, I think Pep Guardiola does a good job at Manchester City. You know, just dealing with all these guys that you know they could go off to any other team and start. 
So I think it's just a matter of, you know, getting all these guys to buy into the system and, and play together, you know, for a common goal. Talking about player management, uh, at Manchester United, there seems to be a lot of problems right now with Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba. Can you shed some light on why do you think there's a problem there? Because those two men have known each other for quite a long time. Yeah, you know, there's always been a little bit of bickering between those two. Um, and I think it shows. It shows in the results. It shows in the field. Um, you know, Manchester United's having a, a pretty poor season, uh, despite, you know, their comeback win against uh, Newcastle uh, this past weekend. It, it just shows that, you know, the the conflicts between Mourinho and Pogba are starting to seep into the field. Much to my dismay of being a Manchester United fan, I'm yeah. <laughs> not, not very happy about the conflict that is going on right now. But on an international level, what would you say the state of American soccer is right now? Are we a couple years out from competing? Do you think we're finally getting to that competitive threshold? Um, it's, it's hard to tell. You know, definitely there's been a lot of, of changes at the national level. Right now you have all, this, all these young players coming up through the ranks uh, that are making a big impact, you know, and of course, you know, the superstar that is Christian Pulisic, I mean, the guy is still, what, 19, 20 years old, and now he's, you know, your number 10 for the national team. Um, and I think I think that, that sheds some light on on the United States and definitely gives hope that, you know, a lot of young guys are going to step up. Even outside of Christian Pulisic, guys like Miazga and Weston McKinney, or do you... Do you think that these guys are capable of taking the U.S. to the next level? Um, I think so. I mean, I think the, all these guys are guys that, you know, are stepping out of their comfort zones, are, you know, overseas, um, trying to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. So I think, you know, there's hope there. In terms of management, what do you think, is there anything coaching-wise that we could change or do to improve the way we manage our games? Um, I think it's just a matter of establishing a uh, an identity you know it's just really having a system and and, and a style of play um, that everybody can get behind you know there's all these guys are playing in different clubs in different countries and you know they're playing different styles and you know they just got to find a way to make them all come here together and, and play you know in a style that it's cohesive style seems to be very important um throughout your career have you had a favorite style that you want that you always like to play um, yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, kind of merged the style of the physicality of the American, you know, soccer and, and you know, the flair and the the cheekiness of, you know, what is, you know, South American soccer. So it's it's a combination of both, I would say. As a midfielder, what would you say your main role was on the field? And how do you think you uh, tried and expand that role throughout your career? Um, I've always been a more of a, a creator you know i'm not the guy that that would you know play the final pass or, or score the goal but i was always the guy setting up the plays or you know fixing the opponent in a way that we can be you know expose their their weaknesses um you know just finding ways to to unbalance the opposition was more of my role so I'm sorry I have to do this, but I got to ask you the pressing question right now. <laughs> Who would you say your top five players in the world are? Uh, well, this might sound a little bit biased, just being a, a you know Spurs fan. Definitely got to get Christian Eriksen in there. You know, that's a guy that I uh, I try to model my game after a lot. And of course, Harry Kane, our goal scoring machine. Um, aside from that, I mean, top you know top three in the world, you got to get in there. Cristiano, Messi, Neymar. 
And then, you know, very close in four, that's a uh, Mbappe, right, you know, just to round it off. So speaking of Messi, there was a lot of controversy this, uh, this past few months of him not being in the top three of FIFA World Player of the Year. How did you, how did you feel about that news? Um, you know, I feel like a player of his caliber with, with this, you know, resume, it's, it's always a contender. Um, you know, I was a little surprised he wasn't up there, but, you know, again, I'm, I'm not the guy voting. <laughs> Do you, but would you say, would you go as far to say that he, at this point in his career, is getting a LeBron James treatment where he is so exceptionally talented that we expect more and more from him every time? Uh, yeah, perhaps, you know, it's. Like he set the bar so high that even when he has a below average season, which you know, if any other player had a season like that, it would be incredible. Uh, you know, we critique him for it. I was about to mention that because you said below average, and he could have a season of forty goals in all yeah. competitions, and for yeah. almost everybody else in the world, that's incredible. Yeah, but for him, that's you know subpar because he's had multiple fifty yeah. goal seasons. So I just wanted to. You mentioned Kylian Mbappe earlier, and which made me think of one other person, Timothy Weah. The trio of Wea, Neymar, and Mbappe in PSG. What do you think about that? Do you think that's a that's a core that could maybe go make a run at the Champions League? Uh, maybe. You know, I think you have to throw in a few other guys in there. Um, you know, PSG is is so talented. I mean, they have so many good players on that squad that you can never count them out. But yeah, I mean those you know, just those two alone, Neymar and Mbappe, are probably two of the most exciting players to watch at the moment. So I want you to give me your your take. Who do you have in the finals for the champions like this year and who's gonna end up being the champion? <laughs> Spurs all the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean You're sticking no. with it, you're sticking with Spurs. Yeah, I'm a Spurs fan, so I gotta stick with them. I respect it. I'm willing to say I think for my pick, I'm gonna go Barcelona, just because I think they're going to take La Liga without too much opposition. And obviously, they're never the best in tournaments, but I'm willing to see. I'm curious to see how Juventus turns out with Ronaldo, Dybala. They have an incredible team over there, but yeah. Liverpool's going to make some noise too. I think they're... Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, Liverpool's had a couple of great years. Um, you know, those three up top with, you know, Mane, Salah, and Firmino are just, you know, forced to be reckoned with. Not even to mention they got their new keeper in Alison Becker and yeah. also added Shakiri. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's you know another team that's stars you know stars that and and they could make a run for it again. Miguel, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come meet with me today. I really appreciated having you on the podcast. Yeah, of course, man. I really enjoyed the time here. All right, guys. Uh, I'm gonna put Miguel's social media information in the description. Make sure to give him a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and. Make sure to tune in next episode to see what I have for you guys. Thank you so much for listening to The Sports Academic.